World of Blaze Inc. brings you a podcast based on truth, spoken boldly. Join the man on fire, John Sublon, as he takes on issues of faith and culture, always faithful, always real. This is True Faith, Real Talk, and now, the man on fire, John Sublon. What's up, everybody? This is the man on fire, John Sublon at johnsublon.com, and we are actually filming the last episode in 2019. So what better way to, uh, to end the year than to have two people that are near and dear to my heart. Um, for those of you who are watching, obviously you can see that there's two, two individuals that are here next to me. Um, but for those of you who are listening, I want to welcome to the show, my two sons, Keone and Mika. What's up, fellas? How's it going? What's up guys? (laughs) Um, all right. So we, we've been talking about getting together. I know you boys, um, have a, a heart for evangelization as well. But the way we normally start this out is is obviously a little bit of introduction to yourselves, then we'll talk about conversion as well. So why don't you just introduce yourselves, you know, who you are, maybe how old you are, what your state of life is right now so that the, the listeners can kind of get to know you a little bit better. Um, so my name's Keone. I am 23 years old. Um, currently, I am in the master's program counseling marriage and family therapy um i have a year left um before i graduate with my master's and then from then uh i have to accrue about three thousand hours to um, get my license as a marriage family therapist so that's my career um kind of plan right now um i am engaged and i'm set to uh get married october 10th 2020 and Besides that, I mean, so uh, working and shout out to your fiance. Yeah, shout out Michelle. <laughs> um, so where did you go? Did you go to undergrad? I went to undergrad at Franciscan University in Steubenville. The Franciscan University of Steubenville, Ohio. Go Barons. <laughs> shout out to the Barons. All right, Meeks, you're up. Uh, my name is Miko. I'm 19. Uh, I go to Franciscan University right now. I'm studying marketing. Um, I'm about to be a junior by credit. Uh, shout out to the AP test. Uh, I've had my girlfriend Ella for three years. Uh, we'll be working on that ring pretty soon here. Um, yeah, that's about it. So marriage is in the future. Marriage is in the future. Marriage is in the future. future. Shout out to Els, who's actually manning our camera, the other camera. So we'll be kind of panning back and forth between here and there. All right. So this is definitely a a podcast that, um, especially for the parents out there, that I think they need to listen to, and not to say that the youth don't need to listen to, but for my listeners out there, um, you know, I get a lot of questions asked. I do a lot of, of youth and young adult conferences and keynotes and retreats. And a lot of the parents are struggling to uh, keep their kids in the faith. And uh, you guys have heard me talk enough and you've seen it within your peer group about just how, how many people are leaving the church. Data will show that 50% of, of our Catholics are leaving the church and 79% of them do so really between your ages. 18 and 23. So one of the first things I want to ask you both is to kind of share um, your own, why do you own the faith, right? You're both adults, you're Keone, you're 23, Meeks, you're 19, and you're making a conscious decision to be Catholic, not only just to be Catholic, but to own it and to, to preach it. So um, Meeks, why don't you kick this one off? What what makes you um, Catholic? Why do you stay Catholic? Uh, well, <clears throat> Or do you have a conversion story too? As a matter of fact, if you have one, you can share that as well. I mean, first is, <coughs> You know, begins with you guys, my parents, and then obviously Keone, older sister Bria, just setting those examples. So I was never in a point where I had to feel like I had to rebel against you guys because you guys were good examples. So it wasn't like, oh, they're telling me to do one thing, but they're showing me another, which I think is a case for a lot of people, right? So mm-hmm. a lot of people that are just sort of these cradle Catholics, very cultural based that, you know, they kind of live these dual lives where I feel like we've always been pretty devout into it. So I didn't have to questioning I didn't have to rebel it and then I mean that just comes I mean then growing up just comes with asking questions so you're just constantly trying to figure out why is it that we do believe this why is it that we do believe that and it was never for me it was never a point of that the church is wrong it was my duty to find out why the church was right Mm -hmm. and why why we believe that because it wasn't just Mm because the bible said it it was because there's a I mean there's 2,000 years so it wasn't just because of our church and then you know the bible comes before that and you know, Socrates is 400 years before Jesus, and we have all these things and all these things that have lined up to where we are now. So it's not just because the Bible said it, and you know, all these kind of things that it just forms over time. Mm-hmm. So I felt like I don't know when I was in high school 
and I think uh, the, I guess the moral foundation that I had beforehand was kind of getting put into question, mm-hmm. and that's um, the peers around me that I found myself that like I kind of realized like my junior sophomore junior year that I was like the only one who thought uh, just a lot of things along with the you know church, and I thought that that was kind of a normal thing, and I realized that it wasn't a normal thing, and then that became my duty to. I guess, educate myself more. And then be, you have to be able to combat that. People are going to come at you. People aren't going to like that you believe along with the church teachings. People are going to think that's old school. People think that um, you're just going along to what your parents say. You're just saying that because that's what the Bible says. And then you got to be able to uh, be a man and stand up and say, nah, this is, this is right because it's right. It has nothing to do with who said it. Mm-hmm. So, um, I mean, I guess that's why I own it because yeah, I, I, was found, there, I found it to be the truth. Yeah, so was there a specific moment, would you say, in your own faith walk um, that you, <clears throat> it went from what you experienced in our family, in our life, to, no, this is this is God with Miko? Yeah, um, I think <laughs> a few moments. I didn't have any dramatic experience where I was like, oh, now I'm going to give my life to God completely, like that kind of thing. I mean, I had a few moments, like off the top of my head, I think our confirmation class mm-hmm. and just the talks that you had with us, and because, you know, that most of that group was my, my boys that I hung out at school. Mm-hmm. And so to have that um, experience was to really be like, you know, we all sought truth and we all kind of looked at each other and just like, you know, just wow, you know, mm-hmm. this is something that we, you know, should we know that we should be living out. And so I had, I mean, that experience, a lot of the, the Steubenville conferences that we went to were pretty, pretty life changing, especially being with my older brother and um I think it was those kind of experiences, mostly tied to being with you guys, mm-hmm. that I, you know, felt like the most. And then, um, <clears throat> yeah, and then just growing up and, you know, listening to all these different types of speakers and everything and just trying to figure out truth for myself. Mm-hmm. And then that's where I really became um, more in like, more in love with trying to find the truth mm-hmm. instead of, you know, just waiting for the conferences, waiting for this and that. It just became more of like my own daily discussion within myself of, you know, what you were, you were seeking at that point. Yeah. Okay. Which happened, I mean, later in high school, mm-hmm. I mean, you guys know, I, I said no to Franciscan <laughs> up until like March of my senior year. So, yeah. So a couple of points out there for the, for the parents out there, especially for the dads. One is Miko brought up the fact that I was his catechism teacher, right? So I, I um, both my wife and I had taught the kids. And so the, if you best, the primary educators of the faith, the church will teach you is the parents. And so there's, a, there's an important factor there. And the fact, because I've had numerous conversations with fellow brothers and sisters in Christ who have kids that are discerning college right now. I don't want to steal from Keone's Thunder, but Miko said no to Franciscan. And we said yes. Um, and uh, parents are afraid to have that conversation, right? I mean, obviously that was a, probably a, a stressful time for you, but let's move on. We'll get back to Meeks in a minute. But Keone, why don't you share your story of if conversion or just kind of why you own your faith, okay. if, if anything? Um. <clears throat> Well, it's an ongoing process, um, and it's something every day you have to make that choice. Um, like Miko was saying, like we had, we had you and mom, um, we had a supportive group of siblings. Um, so the faith was always a part of our lives. It was always a seed that was um, being nourished. Um, but it was as time grew on, you know, like the age that you talk about, eighteen to twenty-three. Once I reached basically the end of high school, going into college, it became a choice. Okay, it's not your parents' faith anymore. What are you going to do about it when no one else cares? Um, so like Mika was saying, you know, the Steubenville conferences, the youth groups, all that good stuff was formation. And um, we began to realize that, you know, we're kind of going against the grain here, you know, and where we thought it was normal. It really wasn't. Um, we had this support system every day at home that we can be like, OK, it's another day. We have to go out and fight. Um, but really um, kind of going off my story. Um, I also didn't want to go to Franciscan at first. Um, <laughs> I signed to go to UC Davis um, right off the bat. That was my dream to walk on there to play a Division One basketball, to go there. They had a great psychology program. That was my goal. Um, and, m- and my parents said, hey, we're going to apply to Franciscan. You don't have to go. We're going to apply for you. Um, and I kind of brushed it off. I brushed it off. I brushed it <clears throat> off. And that was the beginning of my own um, owning of my faith. Are you going to trust? Are you going to make it your own? Um, so long story short, um, my parents are at um, 
Steubenville in Ohio at the, at the university for a conference. And they tell me, hey, um, we just got an email from UC Davis, the tuition rose, it's getting more expensive. Um, we're here on campus at Franciscan. Do you mind if we talk to admissions for you? Um, we heard they have a basketball team. We can reach out to the coach. You can just explore. Let, you open to that. Um, this is in July, and I start school the next October, so two months, three months later. Um, and um, Franciscan starts in August that next month, so I had to make a decision. And it was at that point, after numerous calls from Franciscan, you, month after month, week after week, where I was ignoring, I was ignoring, I was ignoring. I, I made the decision to be like, okay, let's, let's be open to it. So I, I took some calls from admissions, and then I got a call from the basketball coach at um, Franciscan. We talked, he gave me a sales pitch. He talked about, you know, how great the school is, what a unique opportunity it would be to attend there. And then he asked me what school I was planning on going. And I said, oh, UC Davis already signed. Like, this is where I'm going to go. And he said, oh, who recruited you? And I thought that was a random question, but you know, I told him who recruited me, and then he said, oh, that's a good friend of mine. You know, I used to coach at UC Davis. I, I was a coach there for a few years. I just left, and now I'm at Franciscan. And that was pretty much a main turning point in my life because um, it was the realization that here's this man who came across the country uh, from the school that I was so eager to attend, um, and he's now at Franciscan. And it was that invitation, like God knew exactly what, where my heart was, he knew my desires. He knew what was kind of tugging me away. And he said, are you still going to trust me? Um, and that was the beginning of me owning my faith. To be like, all right. So that's when I decided to go to Franciscan. And then I was on campus um, a month later in a state I've never been to, a campus I've never seen, knowing no one. But um, that was the beginning of really owning my faith. Awesome. So um, we can obviously, uh, as parents, take to what both Miko and Keone are sharing there just because of the fact that we're all conduits for God's grace. And so while we may be getting some pushback from our children, there is hope. Um, in these two cases, you know, both boys were um, really staunchly against going to Franciscan. Um, they knew it's something that we wanted, they didn't want it, and it's funny how God works that out. So, um, so let's move to kind of, you know, we talked about conversion, why you guys own your faith, but there's even a greater desire um, which as parents, this makes obviously mom and I proud that the need to evangelize. So what is your perspective of the culture today and what you see your peer group? Because right now we'll see that the millennials are the largest group leaving the church. So right now, uh, Pew Research, and you guys have heard me say this on the show, um, and I'm actually doing a, another podcast Q&A with Father Jay. We just talked about this. Um, and that's to be released in 2020, January of 2020. But we were talking about just the state of the church, the state of the culture, um, and how the millennials are, are leaving in droves. That's your guys' peer group, right? So um, is it safe to say that both in both your peer groups, uh, you guys are kind of um, unique in as far as your faith walk, how you live out your faith? So I want to I understand that. But also, you both have a desire to evangelize. So not there's one thing about saying, all right, I'm going to be Catholic. Cool. I'm going to go to church a mass on Sunday. I'm going to do the Catholic things within my home. But is there a desire to go beyond that? Meeks. Yeah. So I think what I see in my peer group mostly, I mean, we'll start at home because obviously peer group at Franciscan is a little bit different. Yeah. Catholic Disneyland over there. <laughs> um, my peer group here, I mean, for the most part, it's just the it's a generation of um uh, getting your news from Twitter, I mean, getting all your core beliefs there. I think Jordan Peterson says that um, the ideologies are just, you know, religions with a handy, like a handicapped religion, basically, because everyone loses their religion, then they go to ideologies. And um, I mean, that's kind of what we're fed in school is like, I remember learning about, you know, different things such as like Karl Marx, and you're not going, di you're not diving deep into it, but you're kind of learning, you're getting introduced to these thinkers in high school. And a lot of times your teacher will kind of hint at like, you know, question things around you. Like I know I had a teacher say that. Start questioning things around you. And I think, I mean, for our generation, it just becomes a lot of, you know, what feels good. Um, kind of what do we want? Well, it's just, but I mean, that's kind of been the base. I think it's been a basis for a very long time. Mm. It's a, I think we've been a materialist society longer than we, than we think we are. I think we give a, I think we give our country credit for being Christian when I don't know if it really has been for that long. Um, 
And so I think that like slowly over time, we kind of, I think through the generations, it kind of just fell with us. And then I don't think it helps to have um, phones and everything at your fingertips because then it just drives that want even more. Mm-hmm. It drives your, obviously your um, exposure to things that you would never be able to get to see as your generation or before, but you're exposed to that immediately mm-hmm. at 10, 11. I mean, kids have phone at five, six. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, you're losing that that metaphysical touch that you have and it becomes this like um i guess it's more of you get caught up in every day what do i feel like doing and i think that the difference between like uh like us or me and kelly specifically is that we're more in touch with the outside the outside realm of not because when you get caught up in what is it that i want to do today or how what do i feel like doing then you just become a slave to your passions and stuff like that which i think everyone's doing and i think the phone and all those kind of things just drive you more into that direction. Mm-hmm. Whereas when you have faith, you're thinking outside yourself. Where am I supposed to be at? Mm-hmm. Where, where is where is the where is my calling towards? You know, what what is my purpose? And I don't think you have that anymore because everyone's so self indulged. And I think that's really the basis of why we have so many people leaving because they don't have that they don't have that connection anymore. Mm-hmm. It just becomes well, you know, well, why why can't I do this with why, why can't I just talk to God? Why do I have to go to this place? Do me, right? Yeah. Do me. And I think I think um, another another thing to, to point out, I think something that's important is why me and Kelly didn't want to go to Franciscan or why is it? Because I didn't really go to youth group in high school. And I think uh, there's two sides to the our peer group. There's the people who aren't religious and then there's people who are religious. And I think something that I, I guess this goes into why I feel like I, I want to evangelize so I felt like a lot of the peer group is uh, just very touchy-feely in high school. And in youth group, I think it serves its purpose for some crowds. But I think at the, at the same time, um, sometimes we tend to lack the sense of urgency that we do have, uh, that we do need, I guess, in our faith. And it's just a very, like, um, you know, a very a feely, a feely relationship with God. And it becomes sort of, you know, kind of Protestant-y mm-hmm. in a certain sense, mm-hmm. for lack of a better term. Um, and I think that will just drive people away because I think it's pretty, pretty evident that the ones that are more traditional, more strict tend to thrive more. And I think with just the mass in general and how it's become just very singy songy, very, um, I say something, you reply instead of, instead of the, instead of the, the, um, contribution together and the sacrifice, I think all those contribute to the then youth group side, which becomes very touchy-feely when a lot of these people, especially in our area, aren't very touchy-feely people. These people that don't grow up in the best areas, don't grow up with both parents, don't have the nicest things. And so they're not, they don't need the, you know, God God tr- truly loves you, handsome guy over there. He doesn't, they don't really need that, that kind of message. So I think, I guess that goes into, I guess the two peer groups and then um, I need to evangelize. I just... There's just not too many people that I guess are kind of in the culture, but not of it mm-hmm. in a certain sense. I mean, me and County, I don't know if we've ever really seen ourselves as like, oh, we're the churchy kind of guys. We've always been the basketball kind of guys, the cool kind of guys, the stylish kind of guys. And then, well, you know, church was over there. Church, church had its own perspective. But now it's like we fully see ourselves as Catholics first, but you don't lose all that stuff that we had before. What made you cool by whatever standard you want to put that into and so I think for me and my need to evangelize is to just show people well, like you can still I guess be yourself in whatever realm that means you know it doesn't mean you got to be like Jason Everett or you know Todd or whatever guy that you see at the youth group that maybe you don't resonate with mm-hmm. maybe you resonate better with us because mm-hmm. I know for me and Keone I when I a reason why I didn't go to youth group was one it was a lot of touch-feely but I didn't see anybody that I resonated with it was it was no one that would really drive me to okay yeah this guy's doing it okay then I really want to live it out too mm-hmm. and I feel like I needed someone that was like me mm-hmm. so that's that's where I feel my need to evangelize. so you feel like there's a gap there in your peer group where there's less people like you and Keone um, at least in our experience right um, and there's more people that are uh, just different in that sense yeah, yeah. oh I think and I think Protestants right now they kind of own that realm of the we're hip, we're cool, 
and we're still making it about Jesus, like Jesus is cool kind of thing, mm -hmm. which I don't know if necessarily Catholics have to take that, but I'm just saying they own that realm way so much better than we do, and we got the whole stiff, can't do anything kind of reputation, mm -hmm. where it's like there's there's got to be a medium between there, you know? You can still express yourself and and clothing or whatever you want that way, but, you know. Yeah, and we'll talk about that piece because you talked about the traditional mindset and the reverence as well, and we'll yeah. talk about that in a minute. But, Keone, what about you? What's your thoughts on that as far as your, what you perhaps have seen, what you heard me say, and then also your call to evangelize? Yeah. Um, what I've seen growing up, I mean, my closest friends are, are Protestant. Um, I went to a Protestant high school. Um, so I grew up. Um, obviously within the home, I was very involved in the church, but also being exposed to the Protestant faith, going to their chapel services um, at school every, um, I think, two weeks, um, and having in-depth conversations with my friends about the Protestant faith. And, you know, I just see the desire for truth in, in my friend group. Um, so when we would discuss things, um, I see my friends have the desire for truth, but... Um, not knowing where to turn. And when you have, like Mika was saying, what the Bible says, this is what the Bible says, that's great, but where are you going to be guided with it? You have one book, and who's going to show you what, what to interpret from that? You know, And that's why you know, there's, it started with one Protestant faith, and then there's, what, 30,000 or whatever now, because um, each person said, no, this is what I think the Bible says. And um, So I just see a lot within my friends of this need for quite frankly, the magisterium, mm -hmm. um, someone who's here to say, you know, this is what it's supposed to be. This is the teaching. Um, as far as the need to evangelize, it, it, it kind of snuck up on me. Um, I, I know Miko and I are very similar in our personalities, not liking to speak in front of people a lot. But I think when we got to a point where we're owning our faith and we look around in our friend group, the world, the culture, we're like, how can we not? And, and the, the, the culture is too toxic the world is in such a great need. It doesn't matter if I'm scared to speak or not. It needs to be done. Mm -hmm. And um, whether you like it or not, this is the time. Honestly, it's a, it's a, a breeding ground for saints in this culture. Um, and so I think if you are on fire for something um, enough and you see so many people take it for granted or disrespect it or they don't even care, <laughs> you have to be doing something. Um, and it doesn't... You know, that, that can look differently for each person, um, whether it be through like fashion or through speaking or through um, whatever it could be. But it, you should be evangelizing um, to some form or degree. And I think uh, it got to the point where, like Miko was saying, you know, we grew up and there was very few people we can resonate with. Um, we, we heard what they were saying. Um, we understood it, but to to be inspired, it, it was hard to find that person where we're like, wow, that's, I want to be like that person. They live it out and we can relate. Um, and so I think what we can hopefully try to do, and that's kind of what got us into evangelizing, is saying, hey, I think people can relate. Um, you know, And just like I said, the culture is too toxic. There's too big of a need for us not to, to go out there and evangelize to some degree or another. So let's let's talk about that um, a little bit more. And are there who who would you guys say are there people out there in the Catholic realm, the Catholic, the Catholic sphere that you do resonate with? That you could say, well, no, there may not be a lot. We know there's a gap because I've been saying this a lot to people as well. That especially in California, right? We live in the cray cray California, and so there's a lot of people that are not going to resonate now as you mature in your faith. Right. So you think about who we, we, we when we think about um, some of the ancient philosophers that we, you know, we're all big Aristotle fans. Right. Um, Socrates as well. But even if you say St. Thomas Aquinas, um, but even in today's world where there was a point where I wanted milk and honey only. So I wasn't ready for a Dr. Scott Hahn. I wasn't ready for a Dr. John Bergsma. Right. Uh, who Keone got to experience it. Franciscan. Um, I wasn't ready for a lot of these these individuals. Dr. You know, Edward Shree. But now that I'm a man in faith, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm ready for meat and potatoes. And so even though they may culturally or even from just an overall background don't resonate with me, we're one in Christ mm -hmm. and we're one in the Catholic Church. And so are there any of those examples that you can give out there um, 
especially for the parents that are listening or for your fellow peers that may be listening that you would say, hey, these are people that resonated with me in my encounter. Whether you saw somebody at a, at a conference or perhaps you see somebody out there in the, you know, the social media platforms at all. Meeks, you got anybody? I, I mean, for sh- first person, I think for sure, Father Mike Schmitz mm. was someone. I mean, that was my first Steubenville conference experience. <clears throat> so that dude definitely I changed his perspective on everything of what you thought a, a priest could be. Mm-hmm. I mean, what, you know, he's a good-looking guy. He's talented. He was singing there, funny. But, you know, big traditional guy, six to exactly what the church says. Uh, Bishop Barron, goat. Um I mean, those are the two people I probably look to the most. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as like lay people, uh, I mean, we have you. So, get the man on fire. Yeah, we don't have to look too much further <laughs> for those ones. And then, uh, yeah, I mean, I got Keone. That's about all I need there. So. <laughs> yeah, you guys have been exposed, right, uh, to the Deacon Harold Burke Sivers of the world. Yeah, Deacon Harold. I mean, uh, at Franciscan too, Dr. Weicker yeah. definitely changed everything I thought I knew. Yeah. What about you, County? Anybody you can think of? I mean, growing up, same thing as Meeks. Father Mike Schmitz was my first encounter of, wow, there's someone I can relate to who's down to earth, who's all about it, but funny and outgoing and um, comical. Like, I, I, it was just, it it drew me in. So mm-hmm. I, I've, I've still listened to his podcast regularly. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Bishop Barron was kind of like um, a little step up intellectually Mm -hmm. is he goes a lot deeper into um the philosophy and the scripture and the history and so you know i kind of get the best of both worlds as a kid where father mike is so relatable and he hits deep in the emotion he's very convicting and inspiring and and then bishop baron like you said is kind of that meat and potatoes for me as a kid as in high school and going into college where it's he gives you 15 minutes of just deep theological and philosophical just content where I was able to just chew on that for the whole week. And um, in a, still in a way that's easy to grasp, per se. Um, obviously, you had to, um, you had to know your stuff to a certain extent, but um, it was very relatable. I, I can grasp it, and I, it, it was definitely um, thought-provoking. Um, like you said, Deacon Harold was also someone that you introduced us to, and it was like, wow, you can't be around him and not be like, okay, let's, it's time to go. Shout out Deacon. Yeah, shout out Deacon. <laughs> and, um, you know, Miko and I are very blessed to be able to go to Franciscan and the people we're exposed to. Like you said, Dr. Bergsma changed my life. To be able to go to him for a whole year to experience um, the knowledge that he has shared to us, um, that was life-changing. And so that was someone that I could really, really um, relate to. But then just being a part of the basketball team and having people who – they may not have been super on fire, but there was a desire and it was a Catholic desire and we can, I can feed on that and then I can at least grow with someone else together mm-hmm. um, in a way that was different than my friends back home that were Protestant and not knowing what, you know, the Catholic unique Catholic struggles or doubts that we may be having or um, how to live it out in this world. And to have that environment at Franciscan was really awesome for me. Um, so I think those are people who I, I really um, related with early on. Great. Um, let's move to how do you evangelize? So if you think about it, makes what is your call to evangelize? At least at this point, what have you discerned? How are you reaching your peer group um, to ultimately lead them to Christ? Well, I guess so far, I mean, I'm, I'm like definitely afraid to speak, so I haven't gotten there yet. <laughs> but I think what I'm doing right now, which is probably a little bit unique from others, me, uh, along with one of my really good friends at Franciscan uh, named Christian, we uh, collect some, you know, early 90s, some very vintage, uh, like, Jesus teas, and they have these really cool sayings and stuff like either you're going up or down, deal with it, just all these kind of, you know, dorkier kind of sayings, stuff like that, or, you know, pictures of um, Jesus on the cross, and, you know, he did it for you in that kind of way, and it's, like, something that we both love to do, uh, you know, thrifting, and it's a common hobby today, especially among our peer group, but just turning it into a way that, it could reflect Christ even in the smallest way mm-hmm. and without us having to say anything. We don't have to say a word. All we're doing is just posting the picture. And it could be that image for, I mean, I know, especially with Instagram and our generation, the power the power of an image and the power of aesthetics or vibes or whatever you, you want to call it, that moves people in a certain way that sometimes words won't, especially with our, our group. So I think, um, you know, that's what I'm doing right now. 
and then just trying to work on myself too <laughs> so I could speak too. That's good. No, I think that's a, that's a way that um, we got to find different ways to reach. And you guys are closer to your peer group, right? I mean, um, they're, they're definitely, again, the biggest group that's leaving the church. And so whatever way you can find through beauty or through um, fashion um, and bringing back what would be vintage, right? Yeah. And, um, and, and making it more relevant to them today. Yeah. Keone, what about you? What are, what are the ways that you're evangelizing your peer group? Um, I think first... It just starts with a conversation. Um, the the process of us owning that faith, um, it kind of instilled that fire in me to just have a conversation. Mm-hmm. These are friends that I've had, you know, for a while now um, that we respect, we love each other. And it got to that point where how can we not have this conversation um, respectfully, um, keeping it cordial, but at the same time, you know, are we in, are we in pursuit of truth? And so that kind of... Um, those conversations, I think, are one way to evangelize is just plant the seed, you know, um, whether it's your coworkers or, you know, the friends that I've had since I was growing up or anyone you encounter. Um, I've been doing it at work, you know, just planting a seed. Um, I gave one of my coworkers a book on, that I got from Dr. Bergsma. And I know there's two other coworkers that um, are Catholic. And, you know, just having a conversation about going deeper because a lot of people are Catholic, but, you know, only what 20 something percent believe in the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ in the Eucharist. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, you know, just going deeper into what does it mean to be Catholic to really owning it, um, to being on fire. And then also, um, like Miko said, just us being deathly afraid to speak, I've been kind of just going for it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had one gig um, at, a, at a, a parish um, back in March giving my, it was my first talk, just my conversion story. And then I just recently flew out to Franciscan to um, host the the basketball team retreat. And it's just kind of just saying, all right, God, if you want me to do it, you lead me because I don't want to do it. (laughs) So uh, it's just going out there and just, if there's a need, you go out there and say yes, and then God will take care of it. Yeah. And we're also, we have confirmation retreat lined up, Mm -hmm. a father son retreat that will be headed out to um, Tyler, Texas um, as well. I just want to plug in my uh, Instagram. Go ahead for the for the Jesus Tees at Revival for Heaven. At Revival for Heaven, make sure we uh, we we plug that in on the uh, the show notes as well, so you can get catch uh, Miko's um, evangelization effort on the fashion side. Re- at Revival Heaven. At Revival for Heaven. At Revival for Heaven. Um, okay, let's let's continue to move on here, especially because it's very fruitful. I think. Um, for again, both your peer group and parents, and you deal with a lot of parents with a lot of questions. Um, what would you, if you were to give advice to parents out there? Um, let's start with the what not to do. Okay, so with, <laughs> what are the things that you would say? Because you know, mom and I are super blessed, right? I mean, we haven't always been this way. Um, we all have been on a journey, but we're fortunate that our three children. Uh, Shout out to Bree Bree, we love you. Um, our daughter, who's the oldest, um, all three of them, and she actually found God before all of us, um, really, um, live out the faith um, and own the faith. Um, you know, right before we, we filmed this, we were, um, you know, at Mass and at Confession, right? You guys have a weekly, you have your own devotional prayer, you have uh, time in adoration, there's things of that nature. But let's help the parents a little bit, let's throw them a bone. So they don't just hear it from my mouth because, I, you know, being the man on fire, I tend to just spit fireballs at them and tell them to wake up and uh, sm- try to smack the Jesus into them. But what would you say? We'll start with you, Keone. What would you say are, for parents what not to do when trying to raise your kids in the faith to keep the faith? Um, what not to do? Um, definitely do as I say, not as I do mentality because um, <clears throat> they don't buy it. I mean, I used to they just don't buy it you know and also especially with the faith when the culture is telling you so many things that are contrary to the church if you are instructing your kids and you're catechizing your kids and you're not explaining why they will not follow it because at the end of the day what the world tells you what your university is telling you what your friend group is telling you is gonna swallow them up if they have no foundation Mm -hmm. and i've seen it in my own friend group and so it's saying you know yes go to mass yes pray the rosary yes spend time in daily prayer, but why? And if they don't have that why, they will get eaten up alive by the culture because the culture will say you don't need to do that, no one cares about you. 
It's about what you feel, blah, 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 blah. That's what's going to happen. So I think what not to do is to say, you know, you need to do this, do this, do this, do this, and they don't know why. Mm-hmm. It, not catechizing them. Because it's easy to say, you need to go to Mass. Get up, go to Mass. But it's hard to say, do you know what the Mass is? Do you know what the sacrifice of the Mass is and our role in the Mass? Mm-hmm. That's a completely different story. It's harder to catechize than that. Mm-hmm. So I, that's, that's my first don't. Okay. Meeks, you got one? Um, I mean, I agree completely with that. I don't have too much to add. I just know, I mean, we think about that confirmation that group I had. There's only one practicing Catholic still, and that's me out of the whole group. And it's all because, I mean, their parents weren't witnesses. You do this. You graduate from catechism, and then you're good to go. Mm-hmm. So obviously don't do that. And then just like Kimmy says, if the reason why so many people switch up in college and, and after is because they finally hear something semi-intelligent in their, uh, their Humanities 101 class for the <laughs> first time because they didn't hear anything else, and it appeals to them. And so I just say it's, it's on the parents to present that in a way that they can relate to, first and foremost, and that actually sheds light on the truth. Mm-hmm. So that's a, you know, call out to the parents. Um, It's one of the things I say all the time. Um, And most of the time when I'm out there um, doing youth, especially confirmation um, retreats, I often uh, require as best I can to meet with the parents and the sponsors first, because that's what's happening is these kids see, see that it's not being lived out. They see the hypocrisy in their own home. um, And they see this as a joke. And I think, um, you know, we're trying to uh, arm our children with, the, the spirit of God with the, the sacraments, with the, all the, the, the spiritual weapons that God provides for um, in order to contend with the, the, the spiritual warfare we're at, we're at battle with. Okay, so what about, what would you encourage parents to do? What are, so let's flip that on the side if you don't have anything else to add. Um, the one thing I will say, uh, let me just add to that, is what not to do, what not to do is make faith something that you just do. Make faith something you live. Right. So if faith is just another chore during the week, catechism is just another thing you got to do. What always what's always going to get punted. Right. We dealt with this in both cases. Right. So if I got practice and or catechism and I value sports more, well, catechism is going to get punted. And I think that's when some faith is just something you do. It's just a checkbox. You know, we we see uh, often in mass, at least in our area, where people are just getting that they went to mass signed off from the priest, yet they're not participating in the sacraments at all. This is to the parents out there. I just witnessed this at the daily mass we just went through. Two of their children are sitting there getting ready to get their things signed off from father so-and-so that they were actually there at mass. And the entire family didn't participate in any of the liturgy, didn't respond to anything. They showed up late and they didn't, they, and therefore they didn't even participate in the, the liturgy of the Eucharist. Not one of them. That's just one family. And we're a parish of a big family of a lot of families. We've got about 5,500 families in our parish. So, um, and I don't, I think these were visiting families, but anyways, that's a, that's a call out to the, to the parents out there that it's your responsibility to give these kids the faith. And if you don't, um, that's on your soul and uh, we need to take that seriously. So what about what to do? What about what to do? Meeks, let's start with you. What should, if you were to say, Hey man, if I had of parents had you in a room to say, man, I want, I want my kid to be fired up like Miko. What, what would you advise them to, to do as parents? I think I would advise, I think conferences are huge, especially, um, I mean, we were able to go to one in San Diego, and that's like 5,000 teens. Mm-hmm. If you can't w- find one that looks like you, then I, I don't know, it's, you know, there's something <laughs> weird about that. So, I mean, and you have super powerful speakers like Jason Everett is really good at what he does. I mean, you have, you know, the, the Paul J. Kim crowd that will, you know, that'll hit with some people. I mean, he's an Asian, so I resonate with him a little bit there. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think that's a really important thing because at the end of the day, I, there's always going to be a sort of disconnect with the parents and the kids, no matter what you say. Mm-hmm. You can say all the truth in the world. You can make it as relatable as possible, but it's still going to be, ah, you don't understand me, Dad. Mm-hmm. So I, I it, unless the, until they find someone, I would just encourage them to. I mean, if you have someone that if you have a Jason Everett video, just maybe show that to them. But do anything to where they can resonate with someone outside of you. Mm-hmm. If, if it's only you telling them the faith and they're not, they're just not going to listen. Mm-hmm. And if, and if, if it's only, you know, old, uh, white haired man at whatever, you know, mission talk thing, they're not, they're not going to like it. So unless you find someone, a conference where you can be with a group and share that experience and, um, 
you know, I mean, have youth ministers like Daniel Steingrieb. Shout out legend, to Nate, Nate Dog. Have people like that. I mean, it's it's community. It has to. You're not going to be able to do it yourself, by yourself. So when you can give it, uh, your kid that community and in any sort of way, that's that's key. Okay. What about you, Keone? Um, so I think the parents have to live it out on at the end of the day, especially the dads. If the dads aren't doing it, and I've seen this in my own um, friend groups. I've seen this in people I've talked to. Um, I just had a recent talk with um, someone I know about, you know, them kind of being lukewarm. And I was like, is your dad practicing? No, dad never practiced. And I, you hear that nonstop about the dad's not practicing. And um, just to be able to have, you know, you be able to have an example of what it is it resonates with us. And that's the first person that we see living it out that we can relate to as a father. And then, like Miko said, you know, at some point we have to distance ourselves from you mm-hmm. and be able to say, okay, now it's ours. And that's where the friendships, the community um, starts to really foster. But the, the parents have a role in that to begin with. And like he said, the conferences, the youth groups, um, encouraging good friendships, um, educating kids. What does it mean to be a good friend? What, what, what are our values? Um, and, and being able to foster that as a, as spiritual leaders in the family. Mm-hmm. Um, but then it, then it, it all goes to who you surround yourself with, you know. Um, so parents can encourage good groups and send them to conferences, invest. People invest in tournaments after tournaments and invest in concerts and all that. And how much are you investing in conferences and, and, and catechism or, you know, talks or whatever that may be where they can be exposed to people who, you know, go through struggles like they do, but they're on fire and on, in pursuit of truth where they can resonate with and voice those struggles with. And it doesn't have to be straight to my parents all the time. And that's where... Um, people can really start to um, grow in that faith as as a, a brotherhood, a sisterhood. Um, so I would encourage parents to one, live it out. You know, it's, if it's don't expect anything from your kids that you're not expecting for yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and then two, encourage um, community for your children and and give them the opportunity to experience that, and then let them make that choice once the time's right. So let's go back to the decision. And I think those are good. So parents listen up because I think you're hearing it from the horse's mouth when it comes to, to, to the youth right here. But let's talk about that struggle where we've had that in our own home, the decision to pray the family rosary when we're not feeling like it. The decision to say, you're not going to, you may be in the championship game, right? In your eighth grade year. And, but we got catechism Wednesday night. You're not going to it. Um, the decision to send you on a weekend retreat, high school retreat in the middle of basketball season when we know it's the start of basketball season and the coaches are like, that's going to affect your PT. It's going to affect your position, especially the dads out there. And I used to be one of them. Y'all know that where I used to, that was the priority. And I used to cower to the culture, but there was a time when we, we started to own it. And I started on them and like, I don't care who you are. You're not God. And we're going to make those decisions, but it still doesn't mean that you guys were happy about those decisions. But so can you speak to maybe that, that struggle where obviously you guys are where you are today, but it's not like you were perfect in that, right? Where you were just like, yeah, we want to go to mass. Yeah. We want to go to adoration. Yeah. Let's pray the family rosary. Good. I want to lead a decade. No, it's been a struggle. So what can you say to, I guess, really those that are listening, whether it be your peer group and, and to the parents out there about those times where, you may not be feeling it. Mm-hmm. You, you may want to go to that game because you're passionate about that, that or you, want, you don't want to miss practice because of what it could do to your potential to start or your, your, your playing time, your PT, your, your minutes. What, what do you have to say about that and your own struggle and how you dealt with it and what could you say to both the parents and the peers? Um, <clears throat> I think the more you know, the more you start to love it. Um, so like you said, the family rosary, I think Miko and I both didn't like it. We did not look forward to it because, like you said, it was a checkbox chore thing to us. Mm-hmm. And, you know, growing up, it's Sunday, okay, let's do our rosary. What is the rosary? I don't know, you know. And that was kind of where we started to really grow in our formation. Um, and even the Mass, I, I went to Mass, I mean, we've been to Mass faithfully since I, was, I can remember. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't until, you know, college maybe up where I really started to yearn to go to Mass, to want to go to Mass, to be excited to go to Mass. Um, and so that just comes with, what are you forming yourself? Are you, are you, um, studying and are you looking into what, what is, why is the rosary so important? 
or what is the mass? What is the sacrifice of the mass? What does this mean? What does this mean? What does this mean throughout the mass? Um, and that's so powerful. But if you don't know it, if all you think is that you sit, stand, kneel, and that's it, and you you count the blessing and leave, then I, I mean, I don't blame you for not wanting to go. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, you know, if you are able to um, fall in love with the teaching and what everything means and how deep it is, mm-hmm. how could you not desire to go every week because of what God is offering us every Sunday? Mm-hmm. Um, so I would encourage, you know, the youth and the parents to uh, fall in love with just um, learning more with with intellectual growth on what it is that you're saying you believe. Um, because if not, you're you're going to get swallowed up. And there's just too many reasons to not go. You can come up with so many reasons in the culture today why the rosary is not important, why I don't need to go to mass, why the catechisms is, you know, we can put that off. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you don't know why, if you don't know what the mass is and what everything means in the mass, why we genuflect, why the priest wears what he wears, you know, um, every movement, every word means something. The more you know, the more you will be drawn to it. Mm-hmm. The more you know why the rosary is so powerful, the more you're drawn to it. And if you don't know that, then you'll have a million reasons why not to do it. So for you, Keone, would you say that, so was it a struggle at certain times when we had to make, we made faith a priority as parents for you? Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. I remember, um, you know, if it was missing a, a tournament because of the Steubenville Conference, you know, and it was something like um, I had a tournament and it was like, sorry, we already booked you for the Steubenville Conference. And that's, you know, a month in advance mm-hmm. to get those tickets. And, um, you know, I remember Miko and I were super upset about that. It was like, are you serious right now? Like, we don't even want to go. We didn't even know it was happening we're signed up for it and we're over here anticipating we're training every day for that that tournament mm-hmm. um or if it's the rosary you know, we get out of mass we want to go play a video game or something and it's oh it's after dinner we got to pray the rosary and um we're like oh my gosh and that was frustrating and it wasn't until i went to franciscan now no one cares if you go to mass no one cares if you are not praying the rosary and i remembered those times where the the habit was instilled regardless of the emotion attached to it. Mm-hmm. And then the more I started to do it by myself, the, um, the right emotion started to attach properly. Um, and so it was just doing it faithfully and realizing this is what I was given. And now that I know why, I'm so thankful that it was given to me regardless of whether I wanted it or not at the time. So how would you address the parent making that decision? And how would you address your peer? Because obviously you had some frustrated feelings at that point, mm-hmm. right? And, we know that those are always points of contention in our home. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the thing for the, for the listeners out there and, and for the families out there. You know, it's, I'm super blessed that I get to sit here with my two boys and my family's living it out. But it doesn't mean a lot of people may see it like right here and be like, oh, man, that's really awesome. Why can't we have that? But they don't know the struggle. They don't know that it was a, it was a fight behind the closed doors or at the very least, it was, a, it was a point of contention. So what would you say? How did you approach those situations? What would you tell a parent? So do it. Because you both said conferences are important. So make those decisions for your kid regardless. Mm-hmm. That, that you just got to be a parent. Is that the message? <laughs> I mean, at the end of the day, you're responsible for your kids to get to heaven. Mm-hmm. Um, you're not responsible for them to win the championship. You're not responsible for them to, you know, go to the concert or whatever it is. You're responsible for their soul. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I mentioned earlier, you know, the the why the catechizing of the kids is the most important key because if it becomes a checkbox if it becomes a chore if it becomes a routine and um a requirement without a meaning then the kids won't buy it i didn't buy it until i started to grow deeper in why um and so that's what the parents can do is yeah you you're responsible for them and you you stick to it Mm -hmm. you know if it's conferences if it's um praying the rosary or going to the chapel, taking them to mass, all that good stuff. Yes, you're responsible for their soul. Do that, but catechize them. Explain to them why we're doing it. Explain to them why you're doing it. Even if they're upset, acknowledge it. Like, I know you're upset. Maybe you don't get it now, Mm -hmm. right? But one day you're going to get it. And the reason why we're going to this, because this is where we need to put our focus or we need to give thanks to God for all the gifts and many blessings and so on and so forth. What about you, Meeks? Oh, I first want to add, like, I mean, we would miss practice and stuff like that, but... When Keone was going to a Steubenville conference, 
he was missing tournaments in July. And if you're a real Hooper, you know, tournaments in July mean college scouts. Mm -hmm. And so that was like, and for, for us who lived every, I mean, everything we did was basketball. It felt like he was missing his opportunity to play college basketball. So it wasn't like, Oh no, we're missing, you know, game, our second game of the, you know, regular season, of the, you know, we already had three today, but we're, you know, in this tournament, that was, that's not, that's not how we like, it was, that's times where it was, it's hard to be 15 and saying, nah, I'm going to give up uh, playing in front of some coaches for a scholarship so I can go to this conference. Yeah, no, that's a great point. I think for those that do um, know what it's like when you're competing at a high level, Keone went to a, you know, a state championship kind of high school that competed at the highest level. So July is travel ball month. July is scouting month. And, and so um, good point, Meeks, because I think it, that the stakes are high. Right. But the stakes are higher for their soul. And I think that's the challenge where we have with with families. If you're saying you're willing to send them to Vegas, you're willing to pay for the shoes, you're willing to spend the couple of grand to put them on a travel ball team for the one percent chance that you'll make it to D1. Yeah, right. You ain't going to make it to D1. Right. But for that one percent chance and you won't spend any of that effort, make any of that sacrifice for them getting to heaven. And you don't know if they're going to be alive next week. You know, but I think that's a great point is that those stakes are high and it's difficult as a parent. You know, we had a, we had a, um, that wasn't the easiest decision as a dad. Um, I think mom was, was definitely there because mom gets it. <laughs> you know, we all know that, but as a dad, it was just like, Oh, I know that. Mm -hmm. I know that as a, as a competitor, mm -hmm. but basketball is not life. Mm -hmm. Right. In that sense. Yes. I mean, uh, I think, well, I just think about the most important thing. I mean, Probably the most important thing I felt like I learned from you guys was that it didn't, it wasn't like, it didn't matter if it was sports or it was religion, but you're going to have to do things you don't want to do yeah. every single day. Sorry, you don't want to do, no one wants to do chores. No one wants to go to work. No one wants to go to school. That's what you have to do. So then like, I know we took that because I didn't really want to go to mass. I didn't desire that piece or want to go to the sacraments. So maybe my senior year, I mean, it wasn't so much of a fight. But I didn't truly desire that out of, you know, out of my heart and really, you know, I really need to go to the confession. I, I, I just need that sense of peace. I didn't have that until like my senior year. Mm -hmm. But I think what you guys taught us no matter what was we had the same attitude towards everything. Because you guys were the ones waking up at 4 a.m. to go to, to go work out before, to, before uh, work. Mm -hmm. And you guys are having your eight-hour days and you're coming home and you're making, you're making dinner for us. And then also us knowing... Um, your background, you, you and mom's background and what you guys had to go through to get where you're at. So I, I think, you know, whether it was sports or whether it was school, cause you know, you, you made me take all the AP classes in the world <laughs> and I didn't want to do that. But then it was, well, that, are you, you want to play basketball or not? And it was just this whole idea of there's something bigger than what I want to do mm -hmm. no matter what. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, you know, with basketball, I took that to above and beyond with school. I worked as hard as I could just knowing that there's a, there's a, bigger end goal. Mm -hmm. and I think it's the same thing with, with my faith. Even though I didn't want to, mm -hmm. I understood that it was bigger than me. I understood that you have to do things you don't want to do. And faith's going to be a whole lot of doing what you don't want to do. Mm -hmm. So as we kind of, kind of wrap up this episode, what are, what are some things that are on your heart to share with, whether it be, I mean, anybody that's listening to your peers specifically to parents, um, to anybody, what are, what are some things that you would say, you know, you, you need to share, especially as we as we were wrapping up this 2019 year, we're getting ready to start a new year. You know, we just celebrated, um, you know, obviously the the nativity of our Lord. Um, I mean, there's so many things. We're in the Christmas season, the octave of the Christmas season. So a lot of gratefulness, a lot of anticipation, of course, rejoicing and that the fact that our Lord came to be one of us and save us, but then also for, for preparing for his second coming. But as we kind of what, what kind of parting words or anything that you guys think is on your heart that you want to share with whomever? Um, what I kind of want to leave with is, you know, now we're entering into a, a new year next week, I believe. Mm -hmm. Next week. Yeah. Um, just to say yes to whatever that is that he's calling you. Um, and that could be in the littlest of ways. If it's praying one more prayer um, a day, if it's maybe just um, giving up, you know, one thing a day, like, you know, I, I won't have that second cup of coffee. Um, you know, having those little acts of self-mortification or, you know, I, I've been really wanting to go to, um, 
that Bible study, but I haven't. And, you know, I've been really wanting to talk to that family member, that friend that I haven't talked to in a while um, and talk to them about the faith or whatever that is that God is, he tugs on our heart and he he works in our life every single day and we often miss it or we're hesitant. Mm -hmm. Um, And what I've been seeing more and more in my own life is the more I go out there and say yes, his just overflowing of grace just comes immediately. Mm -hmm. And once you say that yes, he's saying, okay, here you go. My grace is sufficient for you. Mm-hmm. and he works wonders once you're able to say that yes, but he can't do it if you don't say yes. He's not. He's a gentleman. Mm-hmm. And what I've you know, been taught, he's a gentleman. He will knock on your door, but he will not barge in, and, and it's up to us to say yes. Um, and, you know, going into that, finishing up the Advent season, and we talk about Mary being able to say yes, like be it done unto me, you know, having that attitude, and just um, what I encourage the listeners out there is whatever it is in, in your day that, you know, God's been tugging, uh, on your heart, calling you to do in the smallest of ways, uh, just give you that encouragement to say yes to it, um, and just to see what happens, um, because his his grace is sufficient. Awesome. What about you, Meeks? Uh, for me, I think uh, the most important thing I could say for my peers or uh, parents or whoever it is is like truly, truly question the things around you, like actually, and. And don't believe things just because the Bible says it, but don't think believe things just because Twitter says it either. Mm-hmm. And like, I think uh, too many times um, people just think that they uh, well ignorance is bliss, and just because I'm neutral doesn't mean I don't I don't, I don't have a responsibility, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, I don't really pay attention to politics, so you know I'm kind of dismissed from it. You're you're not actually. <laughs> Everyone, you're you're an American citizen. You have a duty to make sure our country's going the right way. And I think, I I, I just want to yeah I just think. I want to challenge people to, to really like try to go after like what is it that you really believe in? If you believe in it, like understand why. It doesn't matter what it is that you do, mm-hmm. but just understand why. At least come with something mm-hmm. like have some some substance, have something in here that you you can actually come with. But just don't just don't get caught up in whatever it is that the trends are, and just be okay with that. Because mm-hmm. either one's mediocre, mm-hmm. and you know it's only one that gets spit out. It's a lukewarm, mm-hmm. and um. Yeah, I think everyone's got to make that decision. I think pe- too many people uh, just are okay with, I guess, um, being okay. And I think the reality of it is that Jesus was on this earth, whether you believe that he's the son of God or not. Mm-hmm. He was on there, and that's proven. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's either going to be the son of God or he's not. And if he is, then you got to buckle up, I guess. <laughs> you know, that's not You can't take that lightly. Mm-hmm. It's nothing to be taken lightly. So uh, whatever you believe in, just understand why you do. Mm-hmm. So um, what would you say, just as, as we all offer some tips, what, what are your, what's your prayer life or your spiritual life like? Because um, I know I often share about it just because I'm often uh, amazed at how you all have matured and grown in your faith so fast. But what are some, um, what are some examples of, that you, how you live out your faith? Um, as far as prayer life, um, I try to make it a habit to wake up and the first thing I do is, you know, give thanks to God for another day because it truly is a gift to see another day. Mm-hmm. Um, and that changes your perspective of the mood. If I don't want, if I'm waking up to go to the gym at 5 a.m., I do not want to go. <laughs> if you're starting your day with thanks, it, it gets you out of that selfishness, that mm-hmm. why am I up? It gives you that why that Miko talks about. Um, so starting off with just a simple prayer, it doesn't need to be crazy. Um, just starting off with inviting God into your day. Um, and what I've been doing a lot more is um, just talking to him throughout my day. If I had something happen at work that kind of got me upset, if I'm feeling stressed out, invite him into those moments. Mm-hmm. Because you were talking about this is if God is your best friend, how often are you talking to him? Mm-hmm. And it could be in the littlest of ways in the passing moments. And um, the rosary. I think this last spiritual warfare conference, shout out Doug Berry, uh, Jesse Romero, and that conference of the seriousness of the times and the Marian apparitions and um, what she has been warning us for the past hundred years. Plus, um, the rosary has been a a huge key element of my my prayer life now, every day, praying the rosary, Mm -hmm. Um, whether I want to or not, because there's too much at stake Mm -hmm. to not. Um, and there are souls at stake, mm-hmm. souls in purgatory at stake. Um, and so just, you know, taking that responsibility, this is why I believe. And then like Miko said, this is why I believe in, I'm going to go after it. Um, 
and then also the Auxilium Christianorum app that Jesse Romeo showed us, mm-hmm. um, and just praying for deliverance for the Auxilium Christianorum members, for our family, our friends, those that the priests pray for, all that good stuff. Because the devil's alive and well, mm-hmm. and he is owning the culture, and he is influencing Catholics, influencing those around the world, mm-hmm. and we need to be praying for protection against them because look around you, um, he's winning. Mm-hmm. And it's just praying for the protection. And then um, what I need to do better at and what I've been trying to do a lot better at is spending time in the chapel. Um, just spending that time of just escape from the world, the noise, the stimuli that's so present around us. Look, I mean, look at our phone. Mm-hmm. Um, and so just spending time in quiet. Adoration chapel. Yeah, adoration is a game changer. And, and what about the rest of the sacraments? Um, oh, yeah. I, I go to confession pretty much weekly. Mm-hmm. Um I've been going to Latin Mass just because the more you fall in love with it, the more you um, you want to go into the highest form mm-hmm. of Mass. Um, so going to the Latin Mass, trying to go to daily Mass when I can. I mean, I get off work at 5 or 6, so I often miss it. But when I do have the chance to try to go to daily Mass. Um, and also just um, falling more in love with Scripture. Mm-hmm. That was something that was very hard for me. I think that's what Protestants own on Catholics is falling in love with Scripture. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Lexia Divinus and all that stuff and just being able to meditate on his word because uh, I was just listening to Father Mike Schmitz recently. He's trying to say something to you every time you open that book Mm -hmm. Um, and if you're open to it. Um, You know, and instead of reading the tweets, instead of reading the Instagram comments, if you're reading, you know, a few scripture passages a day, it will change your life. Mm -hmm. Amen. What about you, Mix? What's your spiritual practices? I think a staple for me has been confession weekly. That's something I do not usually miss ever um and most because i need it i mean not because i'm you know holier than thou or anything but i'm just a struggling christian just like everyone else who needs it um what i need also need to do better at but what's also stable is just chapel time like what i was talking about before it gives you the opportunity to be in touch with your purpose of something greater than yourself instead of being indulged in the same activities every day doing what you want living in your pleasures being susceptible to I mean, anything that comes across on your phone. Mm-hmm. Um, and it doesn't have to be necessarily bad, but it's just, it keeps you putting in your uh, little safe space, keeps putting you in this in this comfort zone, and that's mm-hmm. always going to be damaging. It doesn't have to necessarily be, you're looking at something crazy, you know what I mean? But just the fact that the more you're in your comfort zone, the farther you're going to be away from your relationship with God. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, travel time and confession are probably two biggest things for me. Mm-hmm. And you just got done with the Marian consecration, right? I just got done with Marian consecration. Also, I mean, I'm part of a household Franciscan, so we're built around commitments, mm-hmm. uh, which are commitments to God, really. And, um, you know, rosaries, mass together, 6.30 a.m., those kind of things. So those, I mean, obviously help with mm-hmm. my prayer life. Mm-hmm. Awesome. All right, so um, what about going into 2020? What are your, your guys' goals uh, spiritually, would you say, as we... Ponder the last year and think of the new year coming. What's your goals for this year? Um, I would say my goal, like Miko and I were saying, increase chapel time mm-hmm. and making it a point to really be diligent. You know, it, sometimes it, it can be sporadic at times mm-hmm. and just being more structured in it. Like I've made the rosary mm-hmm. more structured. Um, and then also um, having a, a Bible study to some form or another. You know, there, I have friends who just want it or maybe... Um, questioning things and, you know, just developing that group where uh, let's just read and have that discussion because, you know, my friend groups and just people out there in general, they're, they're desiring truth. They're in the pursuit of truth, whether they know it or not. Mm-hmm. And just having that discussion and having that, that group of friends, that community where you're, let's just go in deeper in our faith. Let's answer those questions or let's try to seek those answers. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's something that uh, I know my fiance and I have been talking about um, starting a Bible study and just going deeper into the scripture. Mm-hmm. Meeks, what about you? My spiritual goals are definitely to be reading more, um, whether that be scripture or anything else. I think just educating myself instead of just looking at, uh, you know, Kobe highlights or whatever <laughs> it is. Um, not that the stuff's necessarily bad, but it's just drawing you away from something greater. Because I think my ultimate goal, I think for every, I mean, it should be for everyone, but spiritually, I just want to be able to like try to get better every day. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it be like 10 minutes in chapel or it's just reading 10 pages, but I just want to be able to do like at least something every day or just like, I mean, can I talk about little things? Like just don't put ice in your water. That little thing can, you know, just change the course of your day. 
Yeah. Because mentally you, you're, you're taking that approach, that metaphysical approach outside of yourself to say, oh, you know, I'm doing this for something bigger than me. Mm-hmm. Then it could change the course of your day. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, as a, as a dad, as a father, um, this has probably one, been one of my most exciting episodes to do with my two sons um, here with me. Um, I think we have to do this again. What do you guys think? Yeah. 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 So um, I don't know if you guys are going to be the sons on fire, but definitely uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> we'll have to think of some, some, some cool nicknames. But I want to thank Keone and Miko for joining me on this episode. Definitely a wa- an awesome way to wrap up the 2019 season as we head into 2020. And for all the listeners out there, we want to make sure that you um, you definitely use this as a resource. Share this around um, because I think this is a big question for a lot of parents. I cannot say it enough. And even question for the young folk out there that, you know, the 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 millennial or the Gen Zer um, that doesn't want to hear from somebody like me or doesn't want to hear from mom and dad, doesn't want to hear from grandma or grandpa or uncle or the old guy in the catechism class, right? They want to hear from their peer group. Why do I, why is God relevant? Why is the Catholic church the church? And so I, I encourage you all to use this as a resource, share this around. I'll definitely have Keone and Miko back on the show so we can talk about other topics. Maybe we'll start our own podcast. Who knows? Um, but um, just want to thank you all and wish you all um, a, a, a blessed rest of your Christmas season. Um, definitely you and your families. Thank you all for the listeners out there, you know, as this true faith, real talk continues to grow. And the podcast is speaking to people all across the globe. We um, are praying for you all. And we just thank you all for your support. And uh, with that, we'll see you on the next episode of True Faith Real Talk. And until then, get holy or die trying. True Faith Real Talk. Don't forget to like and subscribe to the show. Continue the conversation online. Visit johnsublon.com. Until next time, get holy or die trying. Godspeed. Godspeed.